really makes for a happy life? A dream job, a bigger house, or a new relationship? If you're always hungry for the next big thing, but frustrated because it never seems to satisfy, you might be chasing carrots. It's time to hop off the treadmill and chase after something real right now. Life has its ups and downs. Life can be fun. Life is sometimes hectic. And life is full of choices. Welcome to Venture, the podcast that brings the biblical truth to the ventures that we face in this world and live in today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Venture Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Wills, lead pastor at Chandler Acres Church in Bellevue, Nebraska. And as always, so glad to be joining you today. Uh, Today we are starting a new series, brand new series, called Chasing Carrots, a Continual Pursuit for More. And so I want to welcome you guys, uh, like I said, and, and I just know that if you are listening in to today or you downloaded this podcast um, down the road here or wherever uh, it's going on, uh, we just know that uh, that God has placed you where you are for a reason and purpose. And for whatever moment that is right now, uh, there's, there's something behind it that God wants you to hear. And so we're so glad that you are doing just that. Um, here's what I would start off with. I would imagine that many of you battle with believing the lie like I do, that if I could just get that, not sure what that is for you, but it, it, it's going to vary. But if I could just get a little bit of that, that's what I need to be happy, fulfilled, and satisfied in life. That's what is missing, right? If I could just get a little bit of that or a little bit more of that, but when you end up getting that, you recognize that didn't satisfy the need that you had. And so I think I want a little bit more of that. And when you get a little bit more of that, you realize that that promises a lot, but that doesn't always deliver. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Maybe I lost you on all those that's, but I think you get the drift, okay? We're talking about the continual pursuit for more. Let me tell you what's gonna happen over the next uh, few weeks, uh, next few episodes. Next episode, we're going to talk about money and stuff. If I could have more money and stuff, I tend to believe that I'll be happy. Uh, the third uh, third episode, I think, is going to be my favorite. I really do. We're going to talk about the elusive pursuit of perfection. Those of you that are perfectionists, this, this will speak to you. Our fourth episode, we're going to talk about the need for approval. So many of us, rather than living for or from the approval of God, we end up obsessing with what other people think. And that compromises who we're called to be. And then in our fifth and final episode of this series, we're going to talk about the drive for comfort. What's interesting to me is our society continues just to tell us comfort is what we need. The challenge is it's almost impossible to live with comfort or live for comfort and by faith. And we're going to talk about all these different themes over the next five weeks. So today, uh, as we introduce this this new series, I, I want to talk about a theme that I think is more relevant at this moment in history than it has ever been in the history of the world. We're going to talk about the pursuit of fame, okay? I want to be known. I want to be admired. I want to be liked, right? I want to be followed. I want to be accepted. I want to be respected. I want to be famous. And many of you are going to say, well, this is an easy one for me because I'm obviously, I'm, I'm not pursuing fame. I really am not. 
Well, you might actually be surprised in many ways that we all are pursuing fame. In fact, it may not be in this full-blown pursuit of fame, but I believe many of us have what we call micro-cravings for fame. We want to be known. We want to be loved. We, we want to be accepted. And you might find this showing up in every uh, little, little small thing or, or just different ways in, in your life. For instance, when you overcommit, you end up doing more than you'd like to because you don't want to let anybody down. You have this deep need to be liked by everybody, right? So because of this micro craving for fame, you end up saying yes to the things you'd rather say no to, and you find yourself way overcommitted. Or perhaps for you, it's whenever you do something and you want credit for it. You know, I did the job at work and I want everybody to know I did it. I gave and I want them to know I gave. I served and I want them to know I served. If I'm showing up and doing something special, I want you to know that I did it. I want credit for what I did. It's, it's this micro craving for fame. For some, it's that you're, only, or you're overly sensitive to, to any type of criticism. You, you don't want any kind of rejection. 100 people can tell you, you did a great job, man. You, you just did a fantastic job. But as soon as one person tells you that it wasn't very good, you fall apart. One person makes some, uh, uh, just a semi-rough comment on your Facebook page or whatever social media platform, right? And your response is, they don't know the real me. That's just not fair, right? It's that micro-craving uh, uh, for fame, right? And so I want everybody to like and to accept me. Well, social media perhaps is probably the breeding ground for the hunger uh, for fame. You know, do, do you like my picture? I work, work so hard to get the caption just right, right? And some people today will delete a photo within five minutes. If it doesn't get enough attention, you know, they're, gonna, they're, they're like, I'm so upset because I didn't get this. And, and, and here we are living for likes and longing for love. It's micro cravings of fame. For those of you that are above all of this, you're not hungry to be liked or known, admired, respected, followed, or even famous. I want to help you understand that the chances are your children might struggle with this. Somebody that you love struggles with this, or just somebody around you, maybe at work or, or uh, whatever activity you're involved with. They just might struggle with this. In fact, I did some research on this subject, and here's what I found about 10 to 12-year-olds. Their, their number one goal, their top desire in life uh, is... First, I'm going to share with you uh, what it's not. It's not for financial security. Their number one goal is not to be rich. It's not for success or achievement. It's not for community or great relationships. The number one top most common goal for 10 to 12-year-olds is to be famous, to be broadly known, to be accepted, to be respected, to be famous. If you are between the ages of 22 and 37 listening to this, studies show that, that you, um, your majority of your people, 50% of you believe that your life should be made into a movie, right? <laughs> I, I, I thought that was, I have, to, I have to tell you, not to be rude, but that just makes me laugh, right? And, and you might be like, well, who, who else is laughing? Well, you know who's laughing? The other 50%. That's who's laughing because we're not coming to your movie, Right? We're going to the latest Avengers movie, whatever it might be, right? 50% believe that your lives are so amazing it should be made into a movie, whether good or bad, right? Here's some other interesting stats. One in 12 people would actually disown their family to become a household name. One in nine would give up the possibility of marriage to be broadly known. One in six would give up having children to be famous. 
And that percentage floats up depending on whose kids they're around, right? If you know what I'm talking about. People would give up so much of what we consider to be important, to be famous, right? Now, just to be really, really clear, and I want to make sure this is absolutely clear, it's not wrong to be famous. There's nothing about being famous that's sinful whatsoever. In fact, if you excel in, in, in whatever you do, if you're one of the best of the best, if you're the brightest of the bright, if you're incredibly talented, if you rise to the top of your field, fame is almost inevitable. In fact, you could make an argument that there are times when God actually makes people famous. In the Old Testament, David is a great example. In 1 Chronicles 14, when David was obedient to God, God made him famous. Let's, let's look at what it says. 1 Chronicles 14, 16 through 17. So David did what God commanded, and they struck down the Philistine army all the way from Gibeon to, to Gezer. So David's fame spread everywhere, and the Lord caused all the nations to fear David. Evidently, God made David famous. God also made Solomon famous. In fact, if, if you don't know his story, God offered Solomon a request, kind of like a genie. He says, what one wish would you like? Well, actually, God says, I'll give you anything you want, right? And Solomon said, you know what I want? I want wisdom, wisdom. And God said, since you asked for wisdom and not for riches and fame, I will not only give you wisdom, but I'll also give you riches and fame. God gave fame. There's nothing wrong with being famous. In fact, you could probably argue that Jesus was famous, right? He raised the dead. He opened blind eyes. He healed deaf ears. He taught his, this, this otherworldly idea, right? And people followed him. Crowds followed him. He was famous. There's nothing wrong with being famous, but a pursuit of fame can be very, 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 and you can stick as many very as you want in there, dangerous to your faith. Pursuit of fame can be very dangerous to your faith because the trajectory uh, takes your heart away from God, away from other people, and it moves towards yourself. It's very difficult to be focused on others when so many others are focused on you. What's fascinating to me as I think about this subject is, is how things have changed. If you look back through the decades or the centuries, the nature and the accessibility of fame is far different today than it has ever been, right? If you go back just a few decades or way back in centuries, to be famous, you had to do something very significant, right? Something memorable. You had to be the best in your field. You had to be an athlete or a movie star, maybe a fi famous politician, right? Uh, maybe an inventor. You had to invent something brand new that everybody uses, right? Or you had to go to the moon, right? You had to travel off of this planet, okay? You had to do something significant. Today, you can be famous because of the rise of, of social media, the rise of YouTube. You can be famous just by creating interesting content. You can become famous by creating silly content. You can be playing your guitar on your sofa, upload a video that goes viral and be famous for being great or be famous for being horrible with it. You can be a cute kid and open up toys and become famous. You can be a lady who puts her face in bread and becomes famous. Yes, you heard that right, okay? This, was a, this is a real deal. Bread smashing lady. Uh, a few years back, she was getting thousands of views for, for smashing her face into bread, okay? No, no joke. You can be famous for that. Years ago, you had to do something significant to be famous. Now, you can just smash your face into bread and, and, and be famous, right? And that's the very reason why so many people hope, perhaps maybe, this post will get hot 
It will go viral. They'll see it. Everybody will know. I'll get the blue check mark. I'll be verified. And then I can post my stuff and get paid because I have a following. I've got all these people that like me. I'm going to be known. This is what I need. If more people follow me, if more people like me, it may not be big and broad like this. It may be the micro cravings for fame. If I just had a little more popularity in my class, if they know me for my sport, if they know me for my craft, if they know me for what I do, if they know me for being funny, maybe, right? Whatever it is, if they just like me and approve of me and give me a little bit more, that's what I'm missing in life. That's what I need to be happy. Now, again, please hear me. You can actually leverage attention. You can build a credible and legitimate following. You can make a real living and make a real difference, but be very, very careful because the pursuit of fame draws our hearts away from God and away from others, and their trajectory moves towards self. And I promise you, counselors will tell you, fame is actually traumatic. Fame to a younger person can be incredibly hard to deal with, even small doses of fame. If you don't believe me and if you don't believe the Bible, you might believe maybe Jim Carrey. You know who Jim Carrey is, the actor Jim Carrey, the comedian actor Jim Carrey. He said this speaking to a bunch of uh, college students. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. So they can see that it's not the answer. So what is the answer? Where is the answer? Well, I think in all of Scripture, the person to me that had the opportunity for for fame but, but got it right was a guy named John the Baptist. Okay, John the Baptist was the was the cousin of Jesus, right? Now I have a question for you. What do John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh have in common? The same middle name. Ta-ta-ta. Yeah, anyway, hashtag dad joke, right? Just had to drop it in there. Sorry. And if you don't get it still, it's they both have the middle name the, right? Anyway, moving on. John, that was horrible. I know guys, sorry, but I had to do it. I had to do it. John the Baptist was kind of a, a crazy prophet. He dressed in animal skins, he ate wild locusts and honey, and he probably smashed his face in bread. I don't know, right? He created a following and a crowd, and he said, I'm here to prepare the way. you got to repent of your sins. There's one coming after me. And evidently, he was so charismatic, he was so interesting, that crowds started to follow him. He started to grow in popularity. He started having these micro doses of fame. And they're asking, are you the one? If John the Baptist had been raised in our culture, let me tell you what he would have likely had done. He would have said, you know, I'm going to still point everything to Jesus, but I'm going to leverage the attention I'm getting, build my platform, build my brand, create something I can stand upon, and I will leverage this to create a stream of income or at least attention because I can still point it to Jesus, and that's what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to let them come to me so I can get them to Jesus, okay? But instead, when they said, are you the one, he said, no. Don't ever confuse what I'm here to do. I'm pointing you to him, to Jesus. I'm unworthy to even untie his sandals. And what John the Baptist said should be our posture. And I certainly want it to be mine. It comes from John 3.30. Listen to what John the Baptist said of Jesus. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. I want you to see more and more of him and less and less of me because it's never been about me. It's never been about my name being known. It's always been about him, less of us and more of him. So how do we do it? How do we do it in a culture that glorifies fame, 
a culture that creates this desire for 10 to 12-year-olds to think, that's what I need in my life. How do we function? How do we represent Jesus? Well, I believe it all boils down to motive, to motive. So what I want to do is I want to ask you two very pointed questions, and I beg you to have the courage to answer these questions truthfully, because when I answer them truthfully, my answers are not always the ones that would honor God, okay? So it's two questions, all boils down to motive. The first question is this, who are you representing? Who are you representing? When you show up, when you post something, when you talk to someone, who are you representing? And please don't give me the pathetic Sunday school answer. Don't tell me you think every th- tell me the thing that er- you think everybody wants to hear if you're a Christian. We know what the obvious answer is. It's Jesus, right? It's like the Sunday school teacher says, "What's brown and fluffy and has a tail and climbs trees and eats nuts?" And a kid goes, "Well, that definitely sounds like a squirrel to me." But we are in Sunday school, so I better go with Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that, please. Who are you really representing? Because I'm, I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to say Jesus, and I want to say I'm representing Jesus in everything I do, but so often, I'm representing me. What do you think about me? Do you like me? So who are you really representing? This is who Paul says that we should represent. It comes from 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead Come back to God. So who are you representing? If you're a follower of Christ, you are called an ambassador for Christ. Well, what is an ambassador? An ambassador is the highest ranking diplomat sent from one nation to another nation to represent the home territory. And so if you are an ambassador for Christ, what are you? You are the highest ranking diplomat sent from heaven to earth to represent our God. That's what you are. So who are you representing? As an ambassador of Christ, when you walk into the room, light walks into the room. Now, I'm not talking physical light. I'm talking the light of Jesus Christ. When we walk into the room, hope should walk into the room with us. We're representing Christ by what we say, how we act, by how we show love, by how we dress, by how we post things. Whatever we do should bring glory to God. So who are you representing? Who are you really representing? Be honest with yourself because so often, uh, you know, we, we say, we should be saying, I'm not representing him. I'm representing me, right? That's what we do. So let the Spirit of God do a cleansing work in your heart. Less of us, more of him. Question number one, and be honest, who are you representing? And just let it invade your heart, okay? Question number two, whose approval matters most? Whose approval matters most? Again, it should be Jesus, but so often we're playing to the crowd. We're, we're laughing at jokes we shouldn't laugh at. We're trying to fit in, right? We're, we're not shining the light when we should shine the light because we don't want somebody else to not like us. And suddenly, instead of living for the, from the approval of God, we're living for the approval of the crowd, right? Let me say it again. Instead of living from the approval of God, we tend to live for the approval of the crowd. Why do we do this? Why is it that so many people today crave being known, being noticed, admired, respected, being followed, popular, broadly liked, right, famous? Well, psychologists tell us something interesting about the desire for fame. Psychologists tell tell us that the desire for fame is actually rooted in injury and neglect. 
In other words, if you find yourself with this craving to be noticed or known, admired, loved, chances are at some point in your life you felt insignificant. The psychologist will tell you chances are pretty high that perhaps you had parents that were very difficult to live up to with their expectations, difficult to please, right? Or you were rejected by friends or at some point you felt overlooked. And so there's this longing in your soul to be known and to be noticed. You know, do you like me? Do you recognize me, right? Do you validate me, right? You know, do you accept me? Can I come into your group? Micro cravings for fame. Paul said this to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 2, starting with verse 4, he said, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Listen to this. This is my favorite part. Our purpose is to please God, not people. Let me say it again. This is straight from Scripture, folks. Our our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. And then he goes on to verse 6 and says, As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. Who are you representing? Whose approval matters most? Okay, Less of me, more of him. Less attention to me, more glory to him. Less about my name, more about his name. Less about following me, more about follow him. When everything in culture now says, be famous, be known, be liked, I'm going to recognize that desire is rooted in injury. It's rooted in sin. It's a false promise, something that doesn't deliver. We are called to something higher and we are called to something better. See, we are not called to be famous. We are called to be faithful. Faithful to the one who is faithful to us. And when you live a life worthy of the one who gave it, to all, gave it all to you, you will stand before him in heaven one day. And Jesus will not say to you, well done, my good and famous YouTube star. No, he's going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? Somebody needs to hear this. When you serve every single week and not very many people know your name, Jesus knows your name and he honors your service. When you give and you give and you give, And no one really knows the sacrifices you make. He knows the sacrifices you make. He will say to you one day, you gave a cup of cold water in my name. You fed the hungry in my name. You visited the sick or those in prison in my name. What you did to the least of these, even when it wasn't broadly applauded, it was applauded in heaven. I noticed. I saw it. Your sacrifices mattered. Your faithfulness makes a difference. When you tithe year over year and you wonder, is it making a difference? Is it honoring God and is it making a difference? When you pray and no one knows that there are holes in your jeans, not because you're cool, not because you bought some expensive jeans and with holes in it, which I don't understand, but because you're on your knees before God every day. God hears the cries of your heart. When you turn the other cheek, you know, when you would rather strike back, we all want to do that. We just want to punch somebody in the nose when they upset us, right? But we're being faithful to the one who is faithful to you. And he notices your faithfulness. Tell yourself again and again and again, the world may not know my name, but I know a name that is above every name, and his name is Jesus. He is the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, my Savior, and my Savior knows my name, and my name is written in his book. It's not about what you call me. It's all about who call, what he calls me. He called me loved. He calls me chosen. He calls me redeemed. He calls me more than a conqueror calls me blessed. And suddenly when I realize who he calls me and how he sees me, then I'm not living for the applause of the crowd, but I'm living for the approval of God. His opinion matters. 
and I want to serve him. Less of me, more of him. Less of us, more of him. David in the Old Testament did what God commanded him to do, and God made David famous, right? Well, what did David say in response? He was a man after God's own heart, right? David said this, listen, in Psalm 115.1, Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name goes all the glory for your unfailing love and faithfulness. Not to us, Lord, never to us, but to your name, the name that is above every name, the name at which one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess his lordship. And to that name, the name of Jesus, we say, less of us and more of him. Amen. That concludes another episode of Venture Podcast. I hope you'll join us next week as we continue our series of Chasing Carrots, a continual pursuit of more. We'll talk to you soon. If you'd like to know more about Venture Podcast and Chandler Acres Ministries, or you'd like to become a patron, please visit us at chandleracreschurch.com.